This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers. Hear more at unqualifiedgamers.com. So, uh, last time we talked about Ninja Gaiden 3, and you, you, you told me you wanted to say something else about it. Yes, I did. So, you know, if you're playing, like, a war game, you'll hear one of your comrades yell, like, bogey, or, like, enemy, or something along those lines? Yeah. Well... All the bad guys, because the first three levels of this game, you're assaulting bases for God knows what reason. Uh, all of the soldiers yell, Ninja! Like, it's normal for them to have a ninja come up to them. They're not like, there's a ninja, oh my gosh. They're just like, Ninja! Ninja alert. Like, they have, they they get attacked by ninjas all the time. You know, I'm confused because aren't ninjas supposed to not be seen? Yeah, well, that's hard when you're in the desert in the middle of the f***ing day in the sand wearing black. Maybe you should wait until night if you're a ninja. I'm just saying, I, then again, you know what? Who am I to question a ninja? I don't know the first thing about ninja Ian. So that's a Konami. This week we're going to talk about good games, starting with some games that you played. Also, the third game in a series. Yeah, yeah. Listener, you have found your way to Unqualified, a video game podcast. Yes. Uh, where two guys that are completely unqualified to talk about video games talk about video games. Yeah. I did play the third game in a series, um, and it's interesting. So, I don't have a lot to say about it. It's Mass Effect 3. Um and I, you know, I'm actually going to start off by talking about Mass Effect 2. Um, I played Mass Effect 2 last year for the first time, and it actually came out two years ago. And I can't believe I waited as long as I did to play it, because it was easily the best game I played last year. Really? Easily. Oh, without a doubt. Mass Effect 2 uh, was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Um, it just... the The... the stuff that they improved upon from the first game um, in, in terms of the combat and the stuff they improved upon in terms of the storytelling uh, I thought was just was just great the one thing that maybe I didn't like so much was they took out a lot of the role playing elements of it like in the first game there was a lot of role playing elements mm-hmm. um, even to the point of where you aimed and fired at something if the die roll didn't go your way you'd actually miss them where it's much more of a third person action game um, Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually not going to talk about the story at all because, again, I played this all the way last year. I re-downloaded Mass Effect 2 for the PlayStation 3 because it was on sale. And one of the in- and the only reason why I did it um, was because it came with all of the DLC for 20 bucks. So not only did you get the full version of the game, but you got all the DLC that I never played. I never played the DLC. So I'd actually just kind of like to talk about the DLC for okay. it. Um, there were there were two packs uh, that came that came with the, the download, and one of them was called Overlord. Um, and again, if you don't know anything about Mass Effect Mass Effect Two, here's just a brief overview. It is a it's a third person action game, but it's a role playing game. Like all of the battle sequences are all a third person third person shooter, um, and then everything else in the game is a character building team like team-building, stat-driven, decision... Like, it's decision-driven, so they give you lots of choices to make. Um, 
to shape the story around your character. And you can really kind of tell your own story. It takes place in space uh, in the year, I think it's 2148 or 2149, something like that. And it's no spoiler to tell you that uh, the Reapers, which are this giant race of sentient machines, are coming to destroy all of all of humanity, actually all of the universe, which they do every 50,000 years. Oh, very fifth element of it. Yeah, kind of, sort of. So every 50,000 years, this giant, giant race of machines comes and just destroys the universe. The first game ends with you realizing this. Um, because the in the first game, you... I'll be spoiling a lot of the first two games, none of the third game. But in the first two games, you know, you're... Uh, or in the first game, you you're charged with chasing down this rogue specter uh specters being like the universe's police force so this one goes bad and you have to go chase him down and you find out that he's actually working for the reapers who at the very end of the game a reaper is destroyed and you realize holy shit these things are real because nobody thinks they exist well in the second game it's all about investigating kind of how the how the reapers are going um and and them coming there's people still don't believe they exist even though one attacked the place you were on and and almost destroyed it in the first game people still don't believe they exist so it's it's you trying to convince other people that they exist um the story is great in the game it's it's very sci-fi pulp so it's not really deep it's not nothing takes you off guard um like if you know anything about generic sci-fi writing you'll see all of the twists and turns completely um but it's very well done for a video game i mean video games are not usually well known for their deep stories and the interesting thing about mass effect games are the amount of choices that they give you that then carry over into the following games in some way and they really deliver on that promise which is interesting oh they do okay because in the second in the second game they do refer to a few of the events that happen in the first game and you're like, holy shit, I do remember when I totally killed that guy for no reason. because um, Just because I was feeling angry at the time. Um, wow, now that entire race of people is pissed at me. So, um, I, th- all that stuff's great. And Mass Effect 2, again, this is the main story. If you haven't played it, highly suggest you play it. But I'll just talk about two of the, uh, of the, of the DLC packs. So, the first one is called Overlord. And it's this, again, it's a, it's a pulpy sci-fi story about a guy who enlists his autistic brother to communicate with this race of artificial intelligence and they find out that he can actually like talk to them so think of the Borg okay there's this race in the Mass Effect universe called the Geth and they are the Borg that is what they are I guess every sci-fi universe needs a of Borg course. right so so Mass Effect is the Geth and there's this guy that can tap into a computer and communicate with the Geth well, it drives him insane. This autistic guy it drives him insane. And again, it's got this pulpy story, um, and and it's got some. So one of the things in the first game that there was was this horrible driving component of the game. I don't know. You said you played a little bit of the game. Oh, I remember um, that. You told me that. Yeah, there's there's a vehicle called the Mako, and God, the Mako was bad. <laughs> it was so bad to drive around in that thing. And they they learned a lot from the fact that how it was that bad. And so they just took driving out of the second game completely. Well, in Overlord, 
it all takes place on this one planet, and they actually give you a vehicle to get around to these different bases on the planet. But they learned a lot from the vehicle, the vehicle uh, component mm-hmm. of that first game. In that driving places is very short. The vehicle controls much better. It kind of goes right where you want it to. There's not a lot of geography that it has to navigate. So one of the problems with, with the Mako in the first game was it would drive up on the hills and then you would like use the thrusters and it would fly yeah. off the hill at a, weird, at a weird angle and then the Mako might flip over and you could never seem to get to go where you were trying to go. Well, in this game, there's, there's none of, or in this DLC, there's none of that weird geography. It's just, it's basically all flat. Your, your car can hover, um, but that's about it. There's, there's not a lot to, to shoot at. Your, your, this car thing, this hovercraft does have guns, but there's not a lot of stuff to shoot at. So it's more just kind of driving around. They just, I think they just kind of put, put it in there as a, I don't know, like an added bonus Mm -hmm. type thing. There's one sequence where you have to blow up a bunch of um, shield generators to take to take down a shield, so you can take down a cannon. That's it. I mean, that's the only big part of that. And you're not driving for very long at all. But then, the majority of it takes place in these. Um, they're they're basically research centers, and they're all very combat focused. Uh, and for me, because the combat had such a dramatic uh, improvement from the first game to the second game. I love it. Like, I absolutely love the combat-heavy DLC. Um, There are some decisions to be made, but very few. Um, And they don't have any impact on the main story at all. So, overall, like, like the DLC, it's just, it's basically going from point A to point B, you know, finding way you have to. You're finding a way to get to where this, where this guy is hooked up to the entire Gef mind, oh, okay. hive mind, so you can kind of break him free of that. So you get there. The boss fight is different than any other boss fight in in Mass Effect Two, which is great. So you have to you have to think a different way and how and how to actually fight the boss, and uh, it's good. That, that DLC is very good. Uh, the second one that's on there is even better, in my opinion. It's called uh, Lair of the Shadow Broker. And the Shadow Broker is this idea in the Mass Effect universe. Um, he, he or it or this entity is a person or organization, nobody really knows, that basically is a broker of information for the entire universe. So... Anytime anybody has any good, like, governmental information, I mean, you're, we're talking information that can bring down governments, that can, that, that, oh, type like the of Illuminati. Uh, okay. Exactly. The Shadow Broker is, is the, uh, the go between for all that information. Um, and, and again, nobody's ever seen him or her or this organization, whatever it is, they just collect, is collectively known as the Shadow Broker. So the DLC is called Lair of the Shadow Broker. It uh, you get reintroduced to one of the one of the characters from the first game, which is kind of cool. Um, and she joins your party just for this DLC. And the DLC again is also very combat focused, even more so than Overlord was. Uh, but the the general story is Liara, the character that you you had from the first game. 
uh, is on a lead on the Shadow Broker. She thinks she knows where to find him. And the Shadow Broker sends people after her to kill her. Um, eventually, though, she finds out where his his ship is. It's I won't spoil that because it's a very short DLC, so it doesn't take that very long that long to get through. And it's in a really cool place. Um, but you eventually find his ship, and you go through the ship. Uh, and this is all combat. I mean, it's all combat. There's no choices at all uh, in this particular DLC. And you get to the end. And the Shadow Broker fight is also very different from any other fight. But the reason why this DLC is awesome is because once you, once you, you are done with the Shadow Broker, um, all of his information becomes uh, accessible to you. What? Yeah. So Li- Liara stays, stays there in the Shadow Broker's ship to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, and you you get some new dossiers on all of your characters, every single one of the characters in your party, and they're extensive. And there are some there are some things. So the game is so character driven, and the relationships that you have with your characters, like you, there are certain characters that I'm sure that I liked that other people hated, mm-hmm. and I really liked them. And I really identified with them and wanted to have my shepherd have relationships with them. And then there are other characters that I probably hated that other people really liked. So it's a very character-driven game. Uh, Bioware writes characters very well. So every single one of the characters in your party has these really extensive dossiers in the Shadow Brokers uh, database to give you really cool insight on all of the characters. Not only characters in your party, but NPCs as well. Um, so, just to give you an example, there's a character named named Miranda, um, and she's kind of a bitch. Um, she joins your party in the second game. She is a genetically modified human to be basically perfect. She's given biotic abilities with these genetic modifications. She's given uh, in like super intelligence. She's got a giant tits and a huge ass and a skinny waist. Nice. Right. So she's like the perfect woman, but she's also kind of a bitch. Um, Well, in the dossier, you find that she has joined this intergalactic dating site. And there are some funny little entries uh, that you read through. And the last entry is a correspondence with a medical facility to Miranda talking about her infertility. Oh. And it's those kind of things that are in these dossiers that are just awesome. You're like, holy shit. That is a very enlightening, very just cleverly written in piece to this story. Yeah. Um, And that's just one of the, the other thing that they, that they have, you can like respect your characters in the, in the shadow brokers uh, lair, um, as well as your main character. There's some other stuff that you can do too, but it is literally worth playing for just to explore those dossiers at the end. So I would say if you haven't played Mass Effect 2 or if you haven't played the DLC, it is just as cheap to download the game from the PlayStation Network right now as it would be to buy the DLC on Xbox Live. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so I would just say and go at it and and you can unlock a bunch of trophies too if you're into that kind of thing. Um that leads right into Mass Effect 3. And I don't have a lot to say about Mass Effect 3, but I've played about 
25 hours of it. And here's why I don't have a lot to say. I have exclusively played the multiplayer. What? Yeah. So Mass Effect 3 has a multiplayer component. And when they first announced this, everybody was up in arms. Like, oh, well, you don't need... This is all about the single-player stuff. I don't need any multiplayer in my Mass Effect. The multiplayer in Mass Effect 3 is exceptional. I really think it has out Gears of War, Gears of War, <laughs> Gears of War. Really? Uh, and here's why. So Gears of War is solely based on weapons, right? Um, I mean, it. your characters are no different from each other. They are only different in the sense that the weapons that they pick up and carry. And the weapons are where all of your power comes from. In the Mass Effect universe, there are biotics, which is their magic. Mm-hmm. There's tech, which is people that are just technological geniuses that can use technology to their advantage. And then there's brute force people that can carry heavy guns and, and they're considered soldiers. It's a class-based multiplayer. It's all wave, wave-based wave horde mode. There is no uh, competitive multiplayer. It's all cooperative, all wave-based horde. And there's six different classes. Each are incredibly unique. Not only that, there are different races that are unlockable per classes that have different abilities within that class. Nice. So they have really flushed out each of the individual classes. And here's why it's so good. And here's why it is so insidious and devious. (laughs) First of all, they released a free multiplayer map expansion with six additional race class combos. And I'll explain how they can do that in a minute. Nice. The unlockable portion of this, because you're all cooperative, we talked last week about how I wasn't really into the whole um, leveling up and then getting better abilities as you level up type thing. Um, But in this game, I think it works really well because it's all cooperative, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you fight in these in these long waves of of horde horde modes each one takes about 20 to 30 minutes to get through an entire match and at the end you receive experience which levels up your character and unlocks new abilities and credits credits are the in-game currency that are used to buy packs there are three different types of packs there's like an amateur a middle range and high end pack and in the the packs are basically like buying booster packs of collectible cards. What? So in these packs, you'll get three common items, an uncommon and a rare in the best pack. In the middle pack, you're guaranteed one uncommon or better. And then in the amateur pack, you have the possibility of getting uncommon items, right? Mm -hmm. Items can be single use for that match, like ammo bonuses or, or... actual weapon bonuses or armor bonuses or meta gel um they can be weapons they can be new class race combinations and and uh and that's basically that's basically it but again they go from common to uncommon to rare and you have no idea what you're going to get here's why this is so insidious you can pay for these things in in-game currency, these credits that you get at the end of all these waves, or you can pay $1 for the medium pack or $2 for the premium pack. Oh, wow. Of real money. Of course. Now, I have not... I, I will 
say I have not spent any of my own money in the multiplayer yet. I haven't really felt the need to. I feel like I've been unlocking things at kind of a decent pace. Yeah. But the fact that the option is there is very interesting to me. I think it is probably the best way I have seen this free this premium free model of gameplay implemented because you don't in this game you really do not have to spend this money at all you really don't but if you do you're given the boost of unlocking these items a lot faster yeah um but you can easily get these items by just sinking in the time and the wave the wave stuff is fun and it's challenging it is not easy at all and there's three different levels of difficulty. There's bronze, silver, and gold, each rewarding you more credits mm-hmm. and experience uh, per level. I have not even been able to attempt a gold yet. That is how difficult the waves are, and I've put 25 hours into the game. Um, I have successfully completed a few silver matches, um, but those are few and far between. Those are still very difficult as well. Uh, and the reason why I love this kind of free premium model is because I haven't spent any money, but other people have spent enough money to where they can give away a map pack for free, new content, new class race combinations for free to everybody to give you more to play with. Yeah, that's pretty intense. And the microtransactions work because it's all co-op, so no one's getting a really unfair advantage over other players. Exactly. Because you may, like if, just like in, I think, every cooperative multiplayer game, the person who does the best, does get the most rewards in terms of experience. Oh, yeah. But the difference between what the person that plays the best and the person that plays the worst in terms of experience is, is minute Mm. in the grand scheme of your leveling process. So it really doesn't do you... It it doesn't make you any more overpowered to have insanely better items than anyone else. Yeah, that's fair. No matter how much better you do... The, the person that's in last will still be getting a really good bump from that. Um, so there's really, if I mean, for me, there's no reason for me to spend my own money. But other people may want to, and God love them for doing that because that gives me more content for free. I think it's the perfect way to do these microtransaction models. Um, but like I said, it is so good. Uh, honestly, all I want to do is play Mass Effect 3 multiplayer whenever I turn on my game system right now. And be able to continue to unlock new stuff. So, and the other reason why this microtransaction is so insidious is because you don't know what you're getting in these packs. Yeah, of course. So you could be chasing, it's just like a collectible card game. Yeah. So you could be chasing this like one good item that you still haven't seen. And you know it's there, but you still haven't seen it. Thankfully, I haven't like had need of that yet because I'm still in a position where I need every single item that I'm getting for the most part. But I can see it getting to that point for sure. So, and they do smart things where if you get the same item twice, it powers up the existing item rather than give you more of the same item. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So if you get the same shotgun twice, instead, there are 10 levels of that shotgun. So you bump that, that shotgun's level up and then it makes the gun better. So they do smart things like that where you can get repeat stuff. If you get the same character class combination, it just gives them a giant bump in experience. So they level up and it unlocks some customization for that class so you can give them more bells and whistles to make them look different well that's awesome it sounds like i mean it sounds like super balanced and 
Uh, do you? I mean, because I've had Modern Warfare three for several months now, over six, well, about six months, and I haven't played any of the campaign yet. But I have no desire to whatsoever. Are you? I mean, after playing Mass Effect two, don't you want to know how the story ends and play some single player? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I really do. <laughs> but the multiplayer has me so sucked in right now. Um, I loved the story in Mass Effect 2, and I really do want to see where it goes in Mass Effect 3, but when I first sat down with the game, I was like, oh, I've only got, I've only got like 40 minutes to play, or I only had like an hour to play at the time, and I knew the multiplayer was there, and I knew it was new, so it was something I wanted to explore, Yeah. and so I managed to get two matches in just with the first one, and that was enough to completely hook me. Wow. To where I haven't wanted to go to the single player yet. I honestly can, t- can, can say to you that I feel like I have gotten my $60 worth out of the multiplayer that I've played so far. That's awesome. And, and are a lot of other people latching on to it? Because you said the initial reaction was like, oh, we don't need this. I haven't had any problems finding a match <laughs> um, ever um, in bronze or silver. I haven't tried gold yet, but I imagine that I'm not going to have a problem once I do bump myself up to that difficulty. Um so so no, I don't and and you can prestige your characters too. So once they reach level 20 in of a particular class, you can prestige them back to level 1 so you can relevel them and they go on to fight the war in the single player campaign. What? Yeah. So in the single player game, um from my understanding there's basically a a bar that that tells you how ready the entire universe is to fight the reapers. And as you train people in the multiplayer, you're basically training them and then sending them off to the war. Uh, so it does have some ramifications in the single-player game, even to the, even so far to, to the point that you can only see, from my understanding, you can only see the best ending if you sink a little bit of time into the multiplayer. That's amazing. Yeah, to train, to train is, people to fight in the war. That is genius. It's great. I mean, I've prestige in Modern Warfare, but all you get is a little badge. I mean, that is... Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, there is a it's kind of a double-edged sword because you're locking you're locking that ending behind that wall of if you want this ending, you do have to play a little bit of multiplayer. Yeah. But honestly, the multiplayer and and that'd be that'd be really sucky if the multiplayer was bad, but the multiplayer is really good. And you can actually get the best ending if you just do the single player stuff. Um, but it's much more difficult to get. It's much easier, apparently, to get it if you just go through the multiplayer a few times. Well, that's that's really cool. Yeah. So I can't recommend it enough just for the multiplayer. I haven't played the single player at all. <laughs> well, But I can recommend it just on the basis of the multiplayer. And uh, you have been playing more Final Fantasy thirteen too? Really? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go from well-done, perfectly executed DLC to terribly done DLC. Uh, I've downloaded two more optional battles. One is now, How much did these cost you? Uh 3 3 bucks for one of them, 4 bucks for the other. Okay. And these are optional in the arena thing. In the right? arena, yes. So you can train the monsters. I don't know how powerful the monsters are uh when you train them, but I do know that they're kind of hard to beat. So I will But it's a nice challenge. You always talked about how Final Fantasy 13 2 wasn't hard enough. All these optional monsters are pretty freaking hard. I still have not beaten Chupon and Ultros. And Which was when you downloaded last week, I think, right? Uh, yes, last time, yes. Although they call it uh, Ultros and Typhon, because that's what they changed it to in the new translation. 
But as old That's school stupid. as old school gamers uh, who own Final Fantasy three, the cartridge, uh, yeah, it's two pun on ultras. So I downloaded for three dollars. I downloaded Poo Poo the Alien. Okay. Um, pew pew or whatever. Um, I think it's actually pew pew, like laser gun is how it's pronounced. Um, I downloaded pew pew. There's a UFO. It drops a bunch of pew pews. You kill them and then you fight the UFO some more. I don't know. I haven't beaten it. It's hard. Um, kind of fun. Whatever. Uh, the four dollar one that I downloaded was Gilgamesh. Oh, Gilgamesh! Really? There's of, a downloadable Gilgamesh? Of course. If they're gonna go for the nostalgia and they do Chupan and Ultros, they're gonna do Gilgamesh. God, you know that almost makes me want to download Gilgamesh. I know it's just for, <laughs> knowing that Gilgamesh is there kind of makes me want to download Gilgamesh. Yes, I won't. I won't. Then, in case you might download it, I won't spoil what he says. But he does break the fourth wall, just like always, which is hilarious. Uh, the voice actor, I think, is fine, and uh, he starts out instead of with a bunch of swords, he has a bunch of guns. Great. Yeah, yeah, it is great. Uh, he starts out with six guns. You fight him. It's a pretty. It's kind of a squash battle, and then he gets the swords, and then he has nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine hit points. Oh my god! So um, I was fighting him, and I could barely do damage to him. But there's places online that say you can beat him in three or four minutes. So I just need to adjust my paradigms. Uh, and he is also tameable, of course. I don't know if he's an auto-tame, like Chupan and Ultros, or if he's a lightning tame, where you have to fight him 30 times before you get him. But um, I'm looking forward to getting to know him better. And there is music. They do have a remix of Gilgamesh's theme from Final Fantasy V. I don't particularly like the arrangement. It's uh, it's done on uh, uh, like a plucked zither, you know, like a, a, a Chinese or Japanese like kind of a thing. Yes. Um, so, I, I don't know. I think they could have made it a little cooler, but but whatever. It is what it is. Um, and for nostalgia's sake, it's it's pretty cool. And also, you'll be very interested in this. I also downloaded a new outfit for Sarah. Oh, this? Yes. No, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. Tell me all about this outfit. Be, I don't remember what it looks like, but I downloaded it because it's free. Well, free is good. So they finally released an outfit, an alternate outfit to the main one that is free. Which makes sense to me. Yeah. Because I don't. I think it's silly to charge for, well, whatever. I know, I know. We know your feelings. Although, uh, another tie-in to Mass Effect 3, the reason I didn't test her outfit is because right now her and Noel are both wearing N7 outfits from Mass Effect 3. You know, I did, I did hear that they did kind of a crossover with that. They did, they did. They're both wearing tight black leather, and I think they look awesome. Like, I'm enjoying the game more looking at them in these outfits, legitimately. So how far in your wallet are you in DLC for Final Fantasy Thirteen Two? right Oh, boy. Probably 30 bucks-ish. Probably in the DLC? 20 to 30, yeah. Do you feel like you have gotten your money's worth out of that game? Well, I haven't... Out of, out of that... Well, not just out of that game. I think specifically out of that 20 to 30 dollars. Specifically, I think I got the money out of Lightning, out of the Saz side quest, because even though it was pretty shallow, it still did give me enough credits to break the game a little bit. And the game, one of the one of the casino games is fun. Chrono Bind is what it's called. That was fun. Um, a little lengthy, uh, the amount of time I had to play it to progress, but fun. Um, so I got my money off of those. I'm going to get my money out of Chupan and Ultros. I think I got my money out of Gilgamesh just for the nostalgia value. And I like the outfits. I'd say probably 70 to 80% I've gotten the value. I, I'm not happy with the Jill battle because it's in, it's stupidly hard and there's no real payoff if you tame her. That was kind of a waste. And um, 
I don't know. You know, the Pew Pew battle is at least a little bit funny because it's just little aliens. The Gilgamesh battle, there's nostalgia. The Ultros and Chupan battle is nostalgia. Lightning is one of the best Ravagers in the game when you tame her. Um, but yeah, I would say maybe the Jill one I would go back and not download. And I also downloaded some weird, like, costume for Noel because I hated the Sora costume from Kingdom Hearts. Right. Um, and if I could go back, I'd return that because I got the Mass Effect one and now I like that one more. Or, if I could replace it, I would replace it with the Assassin's Creed costume. Because you can download the Assassin's Creed costume for him. It just seems... It seems like, to me, it just seems like the wrong way to do DLC. Yeah, it, it is. But it works... I think it's... And for me, I'll tell you what the problem for me is. It's the price point. Because mm -hmm. you're... Ultimately, you're releasing a five to ten minute battle for four dollars yeah where you can get a four to six hour dlc for the mass effect for mass effect 2 for instance like layer of the shadow broker yeah for five to ten dollars depending on the sale mm -hmm. and that just seems ludicrous yeah it's valid it's valid the alternate costumes are only three bucks and I don't know. If you play through the whole game again, it's like, oh, you get the whole game with a different skin. I think that's, I don't know. It's $3 just to look different. Uh, to me, it's worth it. I, You know, whatever. I don't know. Well, you, you are obviously the target of that, a 13-year-old girl. I pretty much, well, I'm on Pinterest. What can I say? You're on what? I don't know. You, you must have gotten some static in your in your headset. I'm not sure. I didn't actually say anything. Listener, you can follow both of us on Twitter. I what is this Pinterest? You can follow both of us on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at EatPlayGame. My Twitter handle is at ProducerCody. You can also comment on our iTunes feed, um, on Unqualified, a video game podcast, our iTunes feed, as well as our website. Uh, Unqualified, unqualified.podbean.com. All right. And as usual, thanks so much for listening. Next time, we'll talk about Diablo 3 and some other stuff. I like other stuff. And so will you, listener. Good night. And say good luck. I, I was going to, but I, it just seems not appropriate to me. Oh, I've got one. I've got one. Good night and good game. A little StarCraft there. That yeah, was good. Yeah, GG. KK by Kiki 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 Kiki. <laughs>